us as society and seeing what we can do. 27 minutes past four. Now, let's uh, get into our trending topics. Trending news right now. Uh, good morning. How are you today? Uh, good morning, Asanda. I'm well, thanks. And how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. I understand your battery was even flat on your phone because yes. we have load shedding in the country. I know it hit us at 6 uh, last night and it came back, I think, early this morning, around past 12. How yeah, long was also, it with you guys? Um, so it wasn't... I think it started at 4 yesterday. So when I got home from work, um, there was already load shedding. So it's at, uh, when I asked, it started at 4... And it only came back at like I think two a.m. today. It's bad, eh? Yeah, it's really it's bad. It's starting to affect now how we even do work. I don't know what that's people true. are um, Okay, so let's talk then. Uh, hashtag ENCA. That's what we start with today. So the news channel is in hot water over an interview with uh, Julius Malema at the Pan African Parliament. So the EFF is saying that the ENCA journalists had not identified themselves as ENCA. Um, and uh, it almost felt like they were hiding themselves in this while they were trying to get interviews because also some time back the EFF had said that they don't want to engage, uh, do media engagements with the private broadcaster. So let's talk about that. Um, So I think it's twofold. The first part about it is to understand that um, for the longest time there's been a lot of um, controversy about the ENC as as a media house and people basically complaining about it. Um, But I think what happened in that situation is that um, journalists do hide their identity sometimes just as as a way of being able to access information, but also as a way to just protect themselves. But I also think that it was a bit malicious that the way in which they went about it, because if you're going to have a conversation, especially with a political party that is very controversial, like the EFF, then you would definitely need to disclose your identity yeah, you so that they also know. generally as a journalist when yes, you're asking questions. Yes, yeah. yes, So that even when people know that when should they um, say something or disclose some kind of information, they ought to know that the information is either going to be private, be held in that place, or either the information is going to go public. So if it's the ENCA, then definitely they were supposed to have disclosed um, their own identity. So you think this was unethical, as the EFF is saying? I think it was, because I also do think that even if um, it is part of maybe a democratic system to also have a media house interview political parties, but I still do think that it's important for them to disclose um, their own identity, because if you don't disclose your own identity, then you don't give the next party the opportunity to decide for themselves whether they want to disclose some information or not. Mm. So the Pan-African... Parliament uh, adjourns until October 2021. Uh, we needed a break, uh, didn't we? <laughs> because hey, disagreements are, are going back and forth here. Yeah, that's true. We really do need a break. So um, I think this is just also just a time for them to also reflect before they can start um, uh, going head to head. So I think it's, it is important to have that break. When it adjourns, what do you think should be top of the agenda? Where should they uh, kick off? Um, there's just a lot of things that have been happening in the country. So I think that uh, also talking about many um, social issues affecting many people and also how to go about um, providing solutions should we come across like similar problems like maybe a pandemic or problems like social injustices that are currently happening in the country. And also just trying to sort out like, you know, the the way in which we can also try to have to form um in 
to form alliances or to also form um, what's this relations with you know the different other African countries. Yeah. Okay, hashtag World Pride Month now. Let's talk about that. Uh, this year's theme is hashtag Still We, which is a statement that's quite powerful, talking about the resilience and the struggles, as well as the celebration and the pride that exists within the LGBTQ plus uh, community. What does this uh, mean uh, if you can unpack it in terms of your own understanding? Hashtag Still We. Um, so it basically speaks about the visibility of members of the uh, queer community, which is the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, it is very important in the sense that in as much as there's a, a rife or there's a high uh, numbers of ho- homosexual people that are getting killed um, in South Africa at the moment, um, it is important to say that as a way to say that homosexual people do exist and that they are visible and that they are comfortable in their own sexuality and that even though the laws or policies in the country at the moment are not in their favor but it still shows that they cannot be necessarily removed from a society and that they do exist so it's a constant reminder also in a form of education to different members of society to simply say that even as people who form part of that particular community, it doesn't take away from the fact that they're still also entitled to basic human rights and that they ought to be given those rights. So it is very, it's a very important month for uh, people who form part of that community because it is an international pride month just to, as a way to say that um, homosexual people do exist and that they ought to be celebrated as such. Let's talk accomplishments from the LGBTQ plus community. Are we acknowledging them? Um, I think there's a difference. I don't think that sort of acknowledgement exists because even with the laws that are implemented and people think that the laws only exist in paper or in principle, if the execution of the law or the policies itself fail, then it automatically means that we're failing uh, members of the LGBTIQ plus community. So that sort of uh, representation or that sort of um, acknowledgement doesn't necessarily exist, especially because I think we've been saying that organically people will learn to accept the existence of such people, but we see how they're still getting killed and nothing is being done about it. So I do think that they've done a lot. The, the community itself has done a lot in terms of making sure that the visibility of the people um, is in place and also in terms of making sure that they fight to, for laws that criminalize the act of homosexuality. But I think insofar as the system itself or the government or the institutions of power, they are largely failing um, the members of the homosexual community. Absolutely. The fact that there are still countries now, about six countries, that can legally apply for a death penalty for people convicted of uh, participating in uh, same-sex acts, uh, uh, and that's according to the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association, it's still appalling that there are countries that uh, would do that. Um, This is true because, yes, because many... Okay. Okay. Many African countries, many of them, um, even though just a couple are now recently decriminalizing it, but many African countries are still very homophobic. And even the laws in place are laws that prohibit individuals from self-actualizing or individuals from um, being who they truly are, which is to simply identify with their own sexuality. And in any case, when they identify as anything outside of being heterosexual, then um, they are largely they face a lot of um, 
criminal charges, especially from the systems within um, those countries. Do you think maybe the fact that we're not calling it hate crimes and we're calling it homophobia it sort of gives an excuse to those who have issue and those who push for the, the you know, the ill treatment of those from the LGBTQ plus community? Um, I think that even if we do, we should, it is, it, it does actually constitute as a hate crime because it is a crime against humanity. You're denying someone um, the ability or the space to self-actualize and identify as such. So even with homo- when we say homophobia, people usually say that we ought to give um, others a chance to unlearn certain things. But unfortunately, people don't necessarily um, um, want to unlearn. But I do think that it does also constitute as a hate crime because, as I've already explained, that it is a crime against humanity. So even if we still put it as a crime against humanity, the fact that the execution or the justice system or the institutions of power are not actually doing anything to uh, maybe prosecute those who have necessarily killed or those who have discriminated against homosexual people, then it means that it defeats the entire purpose. We're not necessarily protecting those people, even if it's called a hate crime or even if it's called homophobia in that regard. COVID-19, the pandemic also introducing its further challenges to the community that was already facing challenges, the LGBTQ plus community. Would you say 2021 was the worst year for LGBTQ plus rights? Um, I think every year is the worst year, but I think 2021 was because also um, even with a lot of webinars that were held, people were were also crying. There was an outcry that... Um, they now have to live in the same house, for example, with their own homophobic parents or homophobic family members, which makes it even more difficult for them to exist, unlike if they can just maybe go at a stay at rest or any other place that's closer to their university, then it, it creates that sense of security for them. But also, I think even in instances where they have to exist in those homophobic communities for um, that period of time, it also meant that there was a high rate of um, homosexual people being killed within the societies themselves. So it means that 2021 was definitely the worst of the worst because that sense of security was taken away from a lot of homosexual people. But also, secondly, um, I think that even in terms of um, prosecuting people who are uh, who are people who were found to have committed those crimes was not something that was taken into consideration because most of the time. And most of the energy was placed towards, channeled towards um, the COVID-19 pandemic and not necessarily towards making sure that we're able to protect people from the LGBTIQ plus community. So let's talk then this month, uh, June, as we said, it's an international World uh, Pride Month, how we can uh, celebrate and, and, and just not just celebrate pride, but celebrate it in a way that's going to be meaningful and with purpose. How, first of all, we can show support for the community? Okay, so I think the way in which we can show support for the community is many different ways. Um, the first one is when we actually do have conversations about the existence of the LGBTIQ plus community and also even as in people who don't form part of that community when they can read and also just engage the content um, as opposed to constantly are being problematic and also excusing it by saying that they're not well informed about it. I think that now it's high time that we actively engage as a society with the context 
co- uh, with the content and we read and we also give them a space to freely express them to freely express themselves in a way that is meaningful to them and i also do think that the second part about it is to also maybe just try to introduce a lot of policies and not just policies for the sake of saying that we see you, we see that you guys exist, but also making sure that even the execution of those policies are effective. And I also do think that even as a society, just making every day a pride day um, where we're allowed to celebrate, have conversations, and also allow those individuals to express themselves, and also just make it a day in which um, the people can feel that they're visible and that Absolutely. they exist in a society. Um, I think that would be very important for this Pride Month. So let's, I mean, let's attend those workshops. Let's attend those events around uh, this particular month and, and those gatherings as, as a form of support. Let's talk advocacy now as the second way that we can celebrate with purpose. How can we advocate for LGBTQ plus rights, those who are within the community and those who are outside of it? Okay, advocacy is also very important um, because it simply means that even when it comes to protesting, um, there aren't necessarily a lot of people that are protesting or are marching with people from the said community because it's also just a way of understanding that even as an ally, you sometimes opt in and opt out. So I think this is just a month in which and also just... Uh, sustainability purposes to make sure that it's not just this month, but that in terms of advocacy, even people in positions of power are able to advocate and are able to change spaces. And I also do think that even in corporate or like workspaces, it's, it's very much important for them to also try to transform and also have conversations about members of the queer community. Because I think that advocacy is not just within the community itself, but it's also about making sure that even people outside of that community are able to spread the word and are able to support the third community. So I think advocacy can also exist in those particular ways. And the last part about advocacy, I also do think that it's also just in a way of um, just someone extending the courtesy and someone just trying to maybe learn more about it and also speak to someone from that particular community and trying to um, interact and also learn a lot about um, the 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 community itself and also reading up on the history of the existence of the said people and why it's largely important then for us as a society to accept and those individuals as opposed to tolerating their own existence. And calling, and calling people out as well. I mean, we've got uh, social media now. If you see someone saying things that are very irresponsible, we should all be standing and, and, and making our voices heard in terms of that, just in, in the small spaces that we occupy uh, of social media. And that also speaks into the third thing then, which is to fight for the rights of the LGBTQ plus uh, people everywhere. Fighting isn't necessarily always physical. You know, you fight with your words and, and sometimes with your funding. Your money. Put your money where uh, the NGOs are. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. I think that the call-out culture has also been very important and helpful in terms of trying to make sure that we're able to create a safe space for uh, people of the LGBTI community, not just in their own private spaces, but also in social media spaces and making sure that they're able to engage in a way that it doesn't threaten their own sense of security. So the call-out culture has also been a form of advocacy that's, that has been very important in achieving 
um, those things and also in trying to change and transform that particular space. And I also do think that even with regards to funding itself, because there are a lot of NGOs that assist homosexual people in providing them with shelter, with food, and all the necessary things that they need, like maybe therapy. So also maybe just um, trying to um, fund those um, uh, NGOs itself. It's just a way of advocacy and also a way of trying to make sure that you're able to assist um, a person who forms part of the LGBTIQ plus community. Yes, and as you said, you, you talked about, you know, learning about the history. So that's quite important as well, if we can just reiterate it, maybe as our fourth point in terms of remembering the roots of pride. I think for me, when you know where things start, you become more sensitized and understanding, and we need to learn the history. That's very important because if you're able to then learn about it from, like, the history and understanding um, how it was before and the sort of... Uh, progress that people from the community have also made, um, especially international, because even the United, even in the United States, a lot of times, um, a lot of these movements and a lot of evolutions of the acceptance of people from the homosexual groups have started there. So reading up on the history of those different kinds of people that have made an, an important and re- remarkable um, impact towards um, the laws or the legislature protecting our homosexual people, learning about that can also assist us in trying to understand why today at this point it's very much important then for us to to be doing better in terms of allowing people from the LGBTI plus community to be able to self-actualize in a society. All right, let's wrap it up with the hashtag Tabombegi now, our trending topic. So he's taken a swipe at uh, Jacob Zuma, uh, saying that, uh, you know, as much as he campaigned for the governing uh, party between 2009 and 2016, uh, he voted but he did not campaign, rather. So he voted, but he did not campaign because uh, it had communicated a false message, as he put it, of the we are a good story to tell uh, mandate. Um, So I think it was very important for him to do that because it also says a lot about him, um, especially as someone who's been in a position of power as the uh, former president of South Africa. And I think what that means is to say that you can be loyal and vote for a party, but even because of the principles that they have, but not because of now what the party is at that time, at, at, the, at this time. So I think what he was alluding to mostly was the fact that um, the the people in positions of power, like your Jacob Zuma now, and not being holding people like Isma Khashula to account, it takes away from the principles of the party, which makes it even more difficult than for him to support or to advocate or to assist in, in endorsing the party that is currently failing the citizens of South Africa.